This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Hi everyone, I'm Jane Tara and I'm chatting to authors and experts about their self-help, wellness and personal development books. If you're looking for ways to be happy, be well and be inspired, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Better Reading B. Koshal is a former professional cricketer and Ironman competitor and the founder of The Kindness Factory, a global not-for-profit organisation and movement that inspires ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Over 4 million acts of kindness and counting have been logged. Kath always believed in the kindness of others, despite some significant setbacks in her own life. In 2016, she put this to the test and leaving home with nothing but a change of clothes, her phone and a toothbrush, and she survived on the kindness of strangers. She has now written her first book, Kindness, part memoir and part empowering call to action. Kindness is a timely reminder that there is always light to be found if only we look hard enough. Kath, welcome to Better Reading B. Congratulations on this amazing book and this incredible story and the fact that you've taken this great story and put it into a book as well so you can share it with other people is incredible. So congratulations first off. Thank you very much and, and yeah. thanks for having me. I got to check out all of the work that you guys do and it's uh, it's really inspiring. So thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. Um, look, kindness, I... Um, I was drawn to this book uh, and sort of ordered it myself, actually, uh, because I just think that it is such a sim- simple thing that we seem to have lost a lot of in society today. And we had a, an experience of that um, just recently on our platform. Better Reading is an amazing place for people, of uh, all different types of people, to come on and talk about books. And one of the great things about our platform is that um, everyone's kind, you know, and it's rare on social media, right? So it's everyone's kind. And we had an experience over the weekend where we got viciously trolled um, over one post. And it was a reminder of just what's out there at the moment. And the difference, you know, you can choose to be kind, or you can feed into this kind of toxic thing that's sort of happening on the planet. So kindness is so important. Um, But I'm guessing that you experience more kindness than other things in your life, because you're working in this area with the kindness factory. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. I sometimes have to be a little bit careful that, um, you know, my day to day is absolutely surrounded by kindness. And so I I sometimes do need a bit of a reality check. And that actually only propels me even more uh, forward in in the journey and the mission that we're on to to make the world a little bit kinder, one as an organisation at Kindness Factory, but two, um, just my, I guess, professional and personal identity really is to highlight and to teach the world the power of kindness. And Mm. Um, it truly is all around us, but uh, I think we need to open our eyes enough to see it. And, and hopefully the book's a good capture of that. And um, that's why I was really stoked to be able to sort of co-create that with the, the fantastic crew at Alan and Unwin. Yeah, look, the book is amazing. Um, 
I like that you break it down into um, the chapters that it's 12 attributes that you believe make up kindness. And those are 12 attributes that you've actually put into a kindness curriculum that has gone across 3,000 schools, which to me is just like life work done right there. How amazing. (laughs) That's fantastic. But I'll read them out. There's perspective, which I find really fascinating, that one. Perspective, humility, gratitude, mindfulness, positivity, collaboration, empathy, trust, honesty, compassion. Now, just reading that, I I absolutely, reading it, you get a sort of certain energy to it. it, it every single one of those is great, but you've broken down um, the book into um, chapter headings with these. Mm-hmm. as the heading I think, we, um, I think we forgot self-acceptance the first one in the book as well self-acceptance did I forget to because chi- I was typing them all down quickly I did that's right. well that's that's only 11 there so self-acceptance as well and well yeah. that is your first chapter and and it wasn't actually intentional why I chose that as the first uh it just fit to I guess the beginning of my story arc so both mm. stories that I was telling simultaneously but the more I started to I guess, um, understand in the writing process. I'd never written a book before and it was a huge process for me. Um, and the more I started to, you know, research and um, take acknowledgement of certain parts of my life and, and contribute that into the book, um, the more I realised, and, and I guess you never want to have a favourite attribute, just like as a parent, I guess you never want to have a favourite child and things like that. But I, I come to understand, I guess, that a reoccurring theme with all of the attributes was that none of them would exist without a level of self-acceptance. Mm, if mm. you had left out any other um, attribute, I wouldn't have picked up on it. But um, And I'll, it's I'll interesting that I did, you know, because I actually, you know, I'm fascinated by that. And yeah. um, and I, I noticed that it was your first chapter that propelled you into your journey as well. So, you know, the fact that I've let it, left it out so we can discuss it, you know, is um, a little bit of synchronicity because I, I agree. I think that um, it is the foundation stone for everything. A hundred percent. And and then I, of course, I get asked, you know, what's the most important and, and all of them are important together. Um, but I think that is the the sort of starting place that we all need to begin. And I don't think and everyone's asked why, and and I think that's because a lot of us aren't self-aware, and I certainly have been guilty of that in the past, and you can never be too self-aware. You're always learning and growing and evolving as a human being, but without self-awareness, we can't have self-acceptance. We we need to understand ourselves through self-awareness yes. before we can actually accept who we are, and um, I think there's a lot of work to be done for all of us, me in particular, um, every single day learning, growing and then accepting and, and being aware of my own actions and behaviours and things like that as well. But, um, yeah, we I think it's a, a really vital ingredient to becoming the most resilient us but also to creating a, a kinder society as well. Well, I think it also because the one that really, you know, drew me in is perspective and I think that um, you can't have perspective until you start to do everything that you've just talked about. Sure. You know, so how do you do that in your daily life? Just um, become the observer of yourself and and become more self-accepting um, and how do you do it? At me personally, yes. um, it was really interesting for me to write the chapter on mindfulness. Yes, 
because if you were to consider what mainstream media and everyone depicts as mindfulness, it's it's certainly, you know, having an app on your phone and and doing breathing exercises and things like that. And I've tried my hardest with all those apps and they just do not work for me. I just, I can't, I don't, I, I was diagnosed with ADHD halfway through the writing process, which was an interesting thing in itself and um, come with its own challenges, but also celebration as well. Yeah. I sort of quite appreciate that I have that, but for me, um, how I practice self-awareness and acceptance is the same way that I practice mindfulness is it's through, um, I guess, taking feedback from myself and my friends and the people closest to me. Mm. Um, and I've always valued those around me. And I, I, I feel like I am little pieces of everyone that I've met along the way where I've taken on little nuances and things that I've appreciated in them and and been able to grow with that in mind thinking, well, who do I want to be today? And how do I want to be? And and with that, you know, they always say you're the sum of the uh, five people you spend the most time with. And mm. uh, thankfully for me, I've always, I, I'm not, I'm so privileged as a white Caucasian woman from a very sort of middle-class family, all that kind of stuff. I've never really lacked in in any kind of support. And, and I acknowledge that uh, a lot of people aren't as lucky as I have been, but for me, being grounded in the moment in friendship, uh, not only does that give me, you know, presence in the moment, which is a form of mindfulness, but it also... I guess my friendships are strong enough that we can withstand uh, mm. you know, feedback that might be honest and direct, but not necessarily the thing that we think we want to hear at the time and things like that as well. And so that's how I practice self-awareness. And then, you know, just checking in, um, how did I go today? I write down three things that I'm grateful for, for example, which reminds me of my day, but um, on the flip side to that, you know, I've got an inner critic just like everyone else. So, you know, when I was on that stage speaking and I tried to crack that joke and no one laughed was what, what happened there and all that kind of stuff. And was it not funny or whatever it is? And um, I think just learning to accept that none of us are perfect is a really good starting place as well. And Kath, it's really interesting that you, um, you talk about how lucky you've been uh, and yet you've faced a number of serious personal, mental, physical setbacks in your life, including having to teach yourself to walk again. Um, you know, throughout all of this, you've obviously maintained a really positive, well, maybe maybe people are born with it. I don't, I don't know. But um, you are obviously a positive person to have got yourself to where you are today and to be, to be able to crawl out of um, some really awful, awful setbacks in life um, on the strength of this this kindness that you see in other people and in the world. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't think anyone's criticised me of, you know, I think there was a bit of a contagion there for a while, people talking about to uh, toxic positivity. and I don't believe in it, but yeah. 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 Um, me, I think that, you know, there was some relevance in what some people were saying in that, um, you know, sometimes it isn't just about having a positive mindset. Um, you are right. I think, you know, I've read some stuff, I think it was called The Happiness Trap and, you know, 50% yeah. of people are born above the line and 50% are yeah. born below the line, but that doesn't mean the people born below the line uh, from a positivity standpoint can't make active choices to get above it every day. That's right. Um, I think for me, positivity has always been about, because I, I, I promise you I'm not perfect and I feel things and experience things just ex as deeply as everyone else does. And my life's different because I've endured adversity probably more so than most people my age. And 
that's not to I, I want it known and on the record that I've um I've had some very and tremendously difficult days. I was diagnosed with PTSD. I was on a two-year therapy journey to really try and figure out what on earth that all meant to me. And you know, there's comorbidity that comes with that. So, you know, depression and anxiety are attached to it and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I've had some really dark days. I think for me, positivity is not feeling the depth of your struggle, not not feeling that, sorry. It's more understanding that one day it's going to get better. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's what maybe has set me apart or why I'm perceived to be resilient is that when I've been in the depths of a struggle, I've felt it and it's been bloody hard. Um, but I genuinely believe that one day it would get better. And, and why I say I'm lucky is, you know, thankfully due to all the work and even the journey that I've now written about in book form, I got to meet the most incredible people. And, and I, I learned that powerful word perspective. Every st- story of hardship that I could share about my own personal life, there were people out there who had endured just as harsh things or worse. And not that you'd ever compare adversity or anything like that. Um, and even if I talk to a homeless person, for example, I, I realised that we're not too dissimilar. Uh, we've both got a, a very severe background of adversity and trauma and loss and grief and all those sorts of things. The one difference that I can put in, in between us in me being able to have a roof over my head and travel the world speaking and doing all that is that I've never lacked a support network. Yes. I've always had an incredible family. My parents are amazing. My friends are the most wonderful people in my eyes and and they never let me fall through the crack if I was making poor choices and trying to cope with unhealthy, you know, coping mechanisms and things like that. They always lifted me up and, and caught me when I was falling. And when you see someone on the street, um, it's not because they want to be there. It's because they lacked support networks for the for the most part. And, and that's why I consider myself to be so lucky. I, I promise you I haven't done any of my life alone. I've, mm. There's no could have got through the things that I have without my people and the people who have supported me. So I think that's why I say I'm actually, everyone's like, you are, you have to be the most unluckiest person I've ever met. And, <laughs> and I say, it's actually quite the opposite. I'm the luckiest. I'm doing really well. I'm, I'm the happiest, healthiest, and, and most content I've ever been at the moment. So um, contentment's a great place to get to, isn't it? Especially when you've faced adversity. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah, for sure. Mm, I can remember the first time I got there myself, you know, and uh, it, it was it like it landed on me. Contentment landed on me and sort of sat on me for it was a couple of months, and I'd never experienced it before. And then I started thinking, what's wrong with me at the moment? Like it really was quite different. The way I felt was quite different. And I've um, been through some struggles in my past, so I'd been doing the work and got to this point. One morning, I'm making coffee and I'm thinking am I depressed? Am I like, I don't, because I'm always, I've always been positive. I always really had faith that it was going to be better. And like you, I had good friends and good community. And, uh, and then I just went and it was like a, a light went off. I went, oh no, I'm not depressed. I'm content. I got to that point, you know, and happiness is quite fleeting, but to sit in contentment, that's, it's a challenge to get there. And it's a great place to be. Yeah, agree. I, and that's a, I think that's even a work in progress as well. I mean, because, you know, thanks to lots of different reasons, but even social media, we, we were just talking about the brain a little bit. And yeah. we're so used to instant gratification and seeking that oxytocin rush through seeing a post or posting and getting people to like it and all those sorts of things that um, our life has come quite, you know, instant. It's become mm-hmm. so like everything's happening right now. And I need that 
feel good like right now and all that kind yes. of stuff. Whereas I think contentment, yeah, as we've just learned throughout, I think that's a beautiful way to look at it, um, is is something that we should be striving for and that we don't have to have the exciting things happening every day, just like we don't want the sad things and the hard things happening every day. So where's our baseline and let's strive for that. And then when we feel or experience happy, happier emotions and euphoria and, mm. and we mm. achieve something that we've been waiting for for a long time or whatever it is, then amazing. But yeah. um, we don't have to stay there forever, just like we don't have to stay down there forever as well. So Absolutely. And so you said you haven't um, written a book before. So this was, you know, it's a big process to write any book um, but you write a book where you're reliving things and uh, it is part memoir and um, so inspiring to read it what was it like writing it imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah, this is a uh, question I've been asked a lot and I, I'd, I'd been approached like five times to write a book before I met Tessa, who's just so wonderful. I, I really adore that. My favourite part about writing my book was getting to meet my editor. So she's amazing. And um, I guess the five offers that I had prior to this was, you know, like just to a re- regurgitation essentially of your life story and and that's about it. And it never really interested me because I didn't really want people reading a book going, wow, there's a person who never gave up and endured and is now doing kindness. It, it just seemed a bit fickle to me and um, and not really important. And when I was approached by Tessa and Ellen and Unwin, um, one, I was just really drawn to Tessa's energy, but also her idea was was to, to tr- really try and help as many people as possible. So I'm a, I'm a motivational speaker and I get to travel the globe doing that. And um, it's a it's a privilege that I don't take lightly, but very accidental as well. And, and that gives me or allows for a great lifestyle. Um, from a remuneration standpoint and all those sorts of things, but really you can only impact the hundred or thousand or however many people are in front of you and and then what, and what can they take from it in only one hour of your time? And um, when Tessa sort of, it was definitely her idea. She's like, I really like the idea of the story arc being your kindness journey. Um, But I'd love, because you believe in these 12 themes so much and these attributes of kindness, I'd love us to explore those and, you know, how they fit into your own life, but where you've, seen them in action in other people, for example. Yeah. Um, it is so such people... a great way to plot the book. It is such a fantastic arc. So yeah, it's, it's excellent. Yeah. I'm, I'm so, yeah, I just got the biggest smile on my face. I'm so, I was so nervous. I was so bloody nervous getting it out there because, you know, it's raw. Like it's, as you said, it's yes. part of the memoir and, and my life's been tremendously difficult. Like it, it's been so tough to live through and 
I'm so glad that I've gotten through it all. But um, yeah, it was a hard process because, as you know, it was, you know, these are really tremendously difficult things that I lived through. And to have to go back and revisit them was a big challenge. I had, thankfully, a psychologist who was supporting me through it. Um, So that was important to me to be able to check in with her at least once a month and go, this chapter really brought out this in me. I thought I'd, you know, processed it. And she's like, you have processed it. It's just brought up some more stuff for you. Well, it's a spiral, and- isn't it? Healing is like a spiral. So you go down to the next deeper truth of it. It's not ever, you never kind yeah. of completely let something go. But did you feel like, um, like, was it just difficult? Or did you feel like confronting some of these things on the page was a a healing process for you? It was good because, you know, I've done a lot of therapy to overcome the things that I've been through and and that was great. And I think you very naively because, you know, I would have been mid-20s when I started a, a processing journey from a therapeutic standpoint. Um, and I, I feel like I thought because I didn't enjoy psychology, I don't love going to psych appointments and stuff because I'm for the most part talking about trauma. Uh, but I know that it's good for me and it's helpful and, you know, you sort of, I'm probably, I I do tend to compartmentalize. And so um, when I was 25, 26, 27, however old I was, when I was first processing all of this with a psychologist, I sort of felt like, okay, I'm doing well now. My life is great. Uh, I think I'll give, you know, therapy a a rest for a while. And and I sort of then put it, okay, I've done that. It's in this box. It's over there. Uh, And I want to propel my life forward in the most positive way possible and live a life that makes me happy. And then, yeah, you you tend to revisit it and go over old notes or how you were feeling in certain moments to write a memoir slash sort of stealth help book. And I wasn't by any stretch struggling, but it did bring up emotion and and made made the writing process more difficult. But in saying that, when I was considering the offer, I remember reaching out to a few people I knew I could I met through speaking who have written books, and I said, "Oh, I'm potentially going to write a book. What do I need to know? Tell me all about it." And literally, if I asked ten people, ten out of ten of them said to me, "It's really cathartic." Yeah, and I was like, "Well, of course I know what cathartic means, but." what do you mean by that? Like, like, tell me a bit more. Like, uh, so it was cathartic in a sense, but I'd be lying if I said I didn't find it challenging and, and very draining. My brain is just not, you know, to stick me behind a desk and type and do things like that is something different for me. But I'm also tremendously proud of of it being out into the world and um and and getting it done with, not without a lot of help from Tessa and the crew at Alan and Unwin. So they were pretty amazing. Mm. Yeah. I think um what, this shows and everything that you're talking about now is that you don't need to, it's, it's so many people seem to think that healing, being whole is a destination that you get to, and then you can somehow give back. And you're a perfect example of someone who it is a process that you continue to go through that you're sharing, but at the same time, you have put so much work into giving back and making such an impact on the lives of others. And that's, I mean, you know, that's really inspiring. Ah, uh, Thank you very much. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's a work in progress every day, but you couldn't pay me any amount of money to change what I'm doing. I love, um, it, you say in your book that you had 10,000 offers of kindness prior to leaving on your journey, um, which was a two-month period of just relying on the kindness of strangers. And I think that needs to be really clear. That's the the guts of this book is is that story as well. And it is absolutely fascinating. Um, so uh, 10,000 offers, you um, 
relied on 98 people who housed you and fed you, who you chose from those 10,000. And um, some of those people, you share stories about them throughout, or weaved throughout. I think what what do you, in your book, you also mentioned that there's all sorts of different types of kindness that we experience or that we can offer people. Um, what's a real standout for you from your journey? Um, it was probably even more the gifts of uh, seeing not necessarily an act of kindness in action, although every single person that helped me, it was an act of kindness in some way, shape or form. Um, it's interesting because what does kindness mean to to you versus to me versus to whomever's going to listen to this? And it's going to mean very different things to each of us. So for me, the greatest gift was the gift of time, which I don't think there's a greater gift of kindness really, but every single person that helped me on that trip that, you know, housed me or, you know, um, had me into their workplace or um, fed me at a school hall or, you know, the homeless community that I helped. So I had celebrities get involved. It was a gift of storytelling, which essentially is time, right? So mm. everyone was so enthralled and trying to follow and keep up with me and what I was doing and all those sorts of things. But simultaneously, all these stories are running in the background where I'm learning all about amazing people who taught me about all these themes and attributes of kindness but essentially it was the gift the gift of time there was even you know he does he's in the book and mentioned in the book but it's not necessarily something that I noticed within him but I also realized that without him the journey wouldn't have been possible because it started you know my trip off in in the most amazing way possible and it probably gave me a bit of stamina but when I was sort of going through all the 10,000 offers I had friends over at my place so I sort of said I'm a week prior to doing it I was like here's what I'm doing I'm leaving in a week's time or it's 10 days time whatever it was um so help me etc and then all these people start sort of flooding my inboxes sending offers to help and it was on the news and so people were becoming aware of it that way and I had friends over in the preparation to just help me categorize because I was like, like I was getting people like, I'll give you breakfast, I'll give you dinner. Uh, you can stay at my house, but I'm in Perth. You can stay at my house, but I'm in Ballina or Bendigo or wherever it was. I grew and, up in Ballina, but it might have been my yeah. mum. Yeah. 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 It could have been. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> you sound very kind. But um, yeah, so I was like, but how am I going to, you know, can you put Victoria over there and New South Wales over here, Queensland over here? And then, logistically how the hell am I going to make this work though and and I'm not a planner like I, I just I'm not organized enough to do that and I was like bugger it I'll pick the ones that seem deeper in their offering not necessarily in they were offering more but they'd shared a bit about their story and why they were wanting to help um and I thought this is all a sort of I was going with my gut in everything that I was doing even the idea to go was just very impulsive I'm doing it I believe in this I'm off so that was a really good thing to do because uh, things just started to work out. But a, a man named Paul reached out and said, um, hey, I'm worried about how you're going to do all this. Um, I run a, a luxurious car limousine company. Why don't I give you a driver while you're in Sydney? And so here I am essentially living on the streets and I've got a, I'm driving around in a limo when I'm in Sydney. Right. And I'm like, what on earth is going on? But um, you know, just the time that we got to spend together because we we're just always in the car together. And he was brilliant in that he always seemed to read me emotionally. So he'd know when to ask because he was so curious. He's like, Where did you who who am I driving to you now? Like, who am I driving you to now? And who where am I picking you up from? What's their story? And he was so enthralled. Um, but sometimes I was so exhausted that I just either wanted to like nap or just I was like, I've just taken in all this information, incredible information off these people who have just 
profoundly impacted me, but I'm mentally exhausted. Yeah. I get in the car and he's like, just don't, you don't have to talk. It's all good. It's all good. But you could see that he was like itching. And then other times, you know, I'd had a, I remember he picked me up from Wollongong, actually. I'd uh, been put up in in the Novotel. So I spoke at this radio station and they had a partnership with the hotel. And they're like, oh, here's a gift. We'll put you up in a hotel for the night. And it was actually amazing because it gave me a bit of a chance to catch my breath. Yeah. Um, and he picked me up the next day and I had all these energies. I was like, well, I met this person and this person and this happened and this happened. And, and you could tell he was loving it too. So there were so many yeah, little micro gifts. But um, you, I think you mentioned you, one of your favourites was perspective and the family that feature in that chapter are the Veras. Mm. Uh, I actually had, uh, so they came to my book launch Um Claude actually spoke at it. She got to say, like, you know, the MC was like, why did you help her? Like, I think it's the room that, like, the question that everyone in the room wants to know, like, why yeah. were there 98 people like you that just helped a stranger? And she was just like, because how could you not? Like, when you hear this story and why she was doing it. And um, anyway, they got, they met my parents at the book launch and um, and they invited themselves over to my parents. They said, you owe us, like, as a joke, of course. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah but we'd love to come over for a barbecue. Would you, and you know, Kath's got to be there and all that kind of stuff. So we actually had a barbecue at my parents' house on Sunday. And um, so I'm still like lifelong friends with all these people, but um, you know, you're not, again, you you don't want to have favorites, but the Vera family hold a very special place in my heart. And Mm. um, I learned so much from them just simply by watching them be them and, and, and love each other in the way that they did after I mean, talk about adversity. Their story is six books in itself, um, I reckon. Like, I haven't even told the half of it uh, because, you know, there's some pretty graphic stuff that's occurred for them. And as a family of refugees who have migrated successfully to Australia now, they are incred- they're an incredible example of the power of human spirit and, yeah. and the beauty of, of human beings. So, um, yeah, I adore them. And I guess their gift in perspective was something that kicked my journey off in the most incredible of ways. Um, but I'll always be grateful for them for everything that they've taught me. Do you think um, sort of I've always felt that kindness catches and obviously your whole world is around that at the moment because the trip was definitely that, you know, and one thing leads to another thing and also if someone does something kind for you and it's passing it on. I um, I was thinking about this today before uh, the podcast and, it, you know, there's one incident and it's really so small but it always sticks out when I'm thinking about something that someone did for me and now I do whenever I can. I was living in New York with my um, oldest son who was two at the time and um, terrible twos was just not even covering it. He was just (laughs) vile and um, he uh, was throwing a massive, massive, massive tantrum. And it was just one of like many that week. I had no childcare. I'd only moved there. I had no community, no friends, no support, all of that. I was really at the end of my tether. And I um, kind of locked him into one of those stroller, you know, the umbrella stroller things they can't get out of. And we were in line at a supermarket. And if I didn't get my food, then we were going hungry. Like I had to get pick up the food then, but he was going off and people were glaring and going, get that child outside and, you know, and saying stuff and everything. And I'm just standing there holding it together. And this woman came over to me and she touched me on the arm and I, I sort of jumped back 
even even telling this story 23 years later, I tell you, I get emotional. Um, she touched me on the arm and I sort of jumped back and I thought she was going to complain like all these other people had. And she looked at me and she goes, I just want you to know you're doing an amazing job. Oh. <laughs> right? And I just was like, I, I just wanted to curl up in her pocket like I was. <laughs> but it gave me the strength to get through that checkout, to get my son home and everything, you know, and to get on with it. And now whenever I see parents who are going through that as well, often if I have that opportunity, I just do the same. Now, this woman in New York, I often think she has no idea that she's being talked about on a podcast 20-something years later in Australia. Isn't that the beauty of kindness? I, I, I somehow hope the world works in a wonderful way and she gets to hear it. It's a similar, like, I mean, the, the whole that just gave me goosebumps first and foremost. And I love that. And so many people tell me stories. I went to lunch with someone yesterday um, and I'd never met her. It was about business stuff. And she said, I uh, said, Oh, why, why are you interested in helping? And she said, um, well, not similar, but she was heavily pregnant. She said, I felt like a whale. My skin was cracking. I did. I was not doing pregnancy well. And I was walking along the street and someone just come up to me and said, you look stunning. And she said, I know I didn't look stunning. I looked like a, a whale, like, and, a, and I was like, well, <laughs> I don't know about that. And she said, but the fact that they stopped me to say that, she's like, I'll never forget it. And she said, this was, yeah, similar to you. It was 20 years ago. And, and I'm sitting here telling you about it, how profound that was for me. And I mean, the, the act of kindness that kickstarted this whole movement that's turned into well, it's 5 million acts of kindness now in a book and all of that was, you know, I was in a wheelchair and I, I couldn't reach a, a lift button. And it was yep. just after they told me that I probably wouldn't walk again. And I was absolutely, I felt like for the first time in this six-month period of just stuff that was going on for me that I'd held on for so long and then I get that news and I, I felt like I was, my emotions were coming close to the surface, but as I wheeled myself towards the elevator, it was just out of reach. And I, I like, as in like millimetres out of reach, but I just couldn't get it. And I remember just thinking to myself, this is the rest of my life. Like I'm going to struggle like this. Not that it's a huge deal. I'm sure something will happen soon. But for the rest of my life, I'm. these are going to be the challenges that mm. all of us take for granted that I'm going to face every single day. And it, I just started bursting into tears and my head was in my hands and I'm looking down and, and then I just hear the ping of an elevator. And someone had walked past and seen that I was just not in a good place and pressed the button without me even realising, walked off. It meant nothing to their day. And I'm sure this lady who did this for you as well, she hasn't thought about it since because she's just like, I see a person, I see that they're struggling. I, feel I reach that. out. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I say what I would like to hear or what, what I believe to be true because none of us are designed to go through life alone. And in that moment, she must have seen a mother and their child going, that's tough. And if I can alleviate or give a tiny slither of hope, then amazing. But I can guarantee you should probably never thought about it again. And here you are talking about it 20 years later. I think about that woman so often, I can't tell you. And that is the power of kindness. It has been, I could talk to you all day, Kat. It has <laughs> been so inspiring. You're an amazing person. You're an inspiration. Your book, Kindness, is, you know, part memoir, um, part call to action. It really, all the work that you're doing through the Kindness Factory and the Kindness Curriculum, it's, um, oh, honestly, I wish I could give you a hug right now. I think you're awesome. So, Kath Koshel, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. 
Oh, thank you for having me. We'll have to do a hug soon in person, but for now, through the Absolutely. screen. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs>